Welcome to this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, your host, joined as I am every week by Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Terry, I have some news. Did you realize this is our 97th podcast already? I, I can't believe you put up with me for this long, but we're, we're approaching 100. Well... Way back when I first joined the Plain Dealer back in 2007, so actually it was right this month, so 16 years ago when I came back, um, the very first thing I ever did was a podcast with Dan Lobby. And then I just seemed to go through people about after 25, they would have somebody else. Joe Noga did it for a while, and um, I remember uh, Chris Fedor did it, and uh, a couple others. And then we moved in a different direction of doing some other stuff. So we dropped it, but now they're back. That's the thing about media. You can always just try anything. So you have you have lasted longer. <laughs> well, we're going to have to think about doing something special for the uh, 100th to start the show or something. So we'll give that some thought. So that's coming up in a few weeks, something to look forward to. And anyway, something else to look forward to, Terry. I want to mention this before we get too far along. You have an appearance coming up in Shelby, Ohio, a week from Monday, which is September 25th at the Marvin Library uh, at 6 o'clock. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The library stuff is always a lot of fun. And it's free. You could bring some of my books to sign. I'm sure they'll sell you some, usually the library or somebody there is selling my books to raise money. And um, if you don't, it's it's really, I just, I just have been doing those probably for 30 years now on and off. And they're just one of my, one of my favorite things. Yeah, one of the fun things about doing the podcast, Terry, is getting to be part of like the Terry Pluto Nation or whatever you want to call it, like the community that you've built yeah. over the years. And, and the podcast is part of it, but also these library appearances and you speaking in public. Um, it's really great. It's just I'm just glad to be part of it. So anyway, we've got a lot to get to today. Let's uh, let's get into the Browns right away. Oh, sorry. By were you going to say something? At the top, since we want to hear about this, uh, a, a friend, an uh, email friend of mine uh, named uh, uh, had sent – he's from um, – I believe is living in Israel. And so I just wondered if you're listening to this, we want to hear like if you're, I mean, if you're from Parma, fine. You want to say, okay, I'm in Parma. I'm listening to it. If you're in Parma, Italy, we really want to know though. <laughs> and, uh, or from other places, just like, where are you listening to it and why maybe? I don't know. But just they, that the phenomenal thing about the internet is the reach. And I recall, especially when we had a lot of our troops over in, um, primarily Kuwait. There was a lot of Ohioans there, and they were using it as a base of operations going into primarily Iraq back during the war. And I would just get all these emails from these guys. You know, I read you online, and they were worried about the Browns quarterback or whatever, probably because, uh, which I always say about sports, it's a great diversion from the stuff of everyday life. And so that always made me feel good. And I have run into some of those guys uh, from there. And I, I remember once or twice I sent over like a, a case of my books and you would have thought, I guess it's because of there that, you know, this was like gold, you know, what it was, it was, it was from home. And so uh, this podcast or anything there, especially those of us who are out of the country, across the country, whatever, where they could feel more about that Northeast Ohio connection. I'm really thrilled to do it. And Terry, it just speaks to what an amazing, passionate, loyal fan base Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, people who grow up here and are fans and leave, they never lose it. They always stay loyal to their teams, and that's another part of it that makes it really fun. And uh, all right, so speaking of which, we're going to start with the Browns, and we're going to talk about uh, 
the Guardians limping down the home stretch here. And then we're going to get into Tristan Thompson a little bit, too. The Cavs have brought back Tristan Thompson. But, boy, the, the Browns are the big story of the week, Terry. Uh, before I forget, if you haven't read Terry's multi-part series with Andrew Barry toward the end of last week, go check it out. It's some great stuff in there, Terry, uh, just to frame the season and, and some salary cap stuff in there and, and their thoughts about building the roster. But re- real quick, um, it's a couple days removed from the win over the Bengals. Just a quick reaction and, and kind of where you stand with this team right now. How are you feeling about it? Well, everybody that I've run into, and I've run into a lot of them because I did a speaking event the other days, the other day for a fundraiser for a thing called uh, Boys Hope, Girls Hope uh, out in Pepper Pike at a country club there. And I mean, it was just buzzing. It was just such a buzz. And I have had in the past where I've had a speaking event maybe after the first Browns game. And as you know, the first Browns game doesn't go well. And so usually that was a whole different uh, vibe. And I just was, I was just so happy for the fans. They had something good to talk about. And of course it gave me a lot of, a lot of things there. And, and people weren't, going gaga super bowl or whatnot they were just like man that was that was fun that you know kind of like that was cleveland that's how you want the browns to be they were very physical they weren't committing a lot of penalties they did the little stuff right the weather was bad they played good anyway um that is the uh that's my team kind of that was the feeling yeah, I, I was thinking of my cousin Frank during the game because all this summer he's been like, I don't want to talk about the Browns. I don't want to talk about the Browns. I don't want to think about how good they're going to be. People are saying that. I just want to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and for once, like there was not so much talk and we saw what they said it was going to be. I mean, it was a really, really well-prepared defense that covered guys tightly. There was nobody open. We saw a dominant defensive line. We saw like a competent, soggy offense like you said uh it was all there right i mean it was really it was really it was impressive to watch for week one and the the lack of mistakes if there was a pre-snap penalty i don't remember it they only had five penalties and one you know the one was uh really the only costly one and it didn't lead to that much was when i think denzel got a flag for pass interference and that was about it. The rest are just kind of, you know, regular penalties. Um, I, so I like that. Yeah, I will say, now, pre-start penalties, that doesn't matter what officiating crew you have because you're either offsides or you're not. Um, but I thought those guys kind of called it sort of loose. So um, uh, that would be um, – that helped too. I'm glad they did. So you're not getting holding calls every five seconds and all that. Yeah. All right. So we have like 10 different ways we can go here, Terry. What are you excited to talk about first? And we can just kind of go from there. Well, well, you mentioned the Andrew Berry thing. The composition of the roster was something that I got into with the general manager and which I didn't realize the Browns had the youngest team in the NFL last year. And they've been in the, among the five youngest teams in the NFL since 2016. This year, they rank 18th. And that was by design, as he said. And it's also not because they brought a couple of 35-year-olds in to raise up the average age. It was that when you look at, say, Batonio and Wyatt Teller and Miles Garrett, uh, Watson, guys on the roster now, they're entering in, uh, Denzel War, they're entering into their middle to late 20s and then they brought in um, Smith 
Tomlinson, uh, some other veterans. Not real old veterans, but guys around 30. I think McLeod is 33. He's the one outlier. And what that allowed the coaches to do, I think, is you don't spend so much time on just all the basics. You kind of move into, you know, out of those 101 college football courses up to, you know, the second level and third level. And then so by the time you've gone into your season, you're on those 400 level or senior level courses or senior level coaching in this case. And it showed up in that first game. Now, maybe they go to Pittsburgh and the flags are flying all over the place and we're having a totally different discussion next week. But I, most of the time what I remember from opening games is uh, sloppy football. Even though they won the opener last year on Cade York's 58-yard field goal, remember there were like a couple blown coverages in that game that allowed uh, Baker Mayfield and Carolina to get back in it. Yeah, and a couple things on that, Terry, and you wrote about this, this oldening of the roster or aging of the roster, a lot of times, I think of New England a lot about this, their roster gets old because they're keeping guys around mm-hmm. and they're getting old and they're declining. This was like a deliberate aging of the roster by Andrew Brady to, like you said, bring in experience. And man, you could feel there was so much more energy from the Browns on the sideline during that game than I'm used to seeing. Every time there was a tackle, guys were jumping off the sidelines mm-hmm. to give him, you know, to congratulate him, you know, uh, a pass breakup. Every, every guy who wasn't playing seems like they're really engaged. And I think that that was part of what we saw was the maturing of the roster. Like, this is how we have to do this, celebrating every big play, supporting each other. Like, I think that was one thing I saw that tied into what you wrote about, about the roster getting older and more mature. Like, this is how we do it. If you look up the comments that Barry gave me on the new guys that came in on defense, um, they were picked for also character reasons. You talked about how uh, Thornhill and McLeod, I mean, these are guys that sit in the front row during meetings. They take the notes, all that stuff. You know, Thornhill's a very, very upbeat vocal guy. Uh, And then also uh, Tomlinson is just, he looks like a, a rock in the middle, and that's what he is. And he's said, Zadarius Smith, he just never has a bad day. He's always excited. He wants to play, that kind of stuff. Uh, Agbo is kind of quiet. He's sort of the younger one coming up. But he is a guy that was a lower draft pick, uh, not really highly regarded, finally had a fight to get a chance to get on the field and to play. So, um he thinks it's a good mix. Of course, he put it together, but it, it looks this way, early returns. But if you don't have the right coach and the right system, and also, I just think Schwartz comes in with such a reputation that these guys are not going to mess with him. Yeah, week one. How many times do we see guys pointing at each other for a missed coverage? Or... Yeah. <laughs> it's like they, they they I think they might have played a, a snap or two in zone early, and then it's like we're playing man. Here's who you got and beat us and they couldn't do it the Bengals couldn't do it it was it was was something else well David I remember it's across a different sport but um there's a couple of us in the old days of the NBA we're talking to Magic Johnson about being pressed on defense and even Magic Johnson said any player who says he doesn't mind being pressed on defense he doesn't care whether they press or not is lying he goes, you much rather would bring the ball up the court with nobody pressing you than with somebody on you. Now, pressure allows you to make plays and that kind of stuff, but still. Now, 
flip it to football. You're a receiver, and you see the Browns playing that passive quarters defense where guys are basically guarding four different parts of the field, and you could get off five to seven yards with anybody touching you. Um, you like that a lot better than what they face Sunday. Better now, believe yeah. it. Now, you, now, Dave, you got to have defensive backs to play that way, the Browns are. But they should have. They put a lot of money to those, those and high picks into those um, those selections to play in the back end of the um, the secondary. So those guys should be able to play some man to man. All right. Well, let's stay let's stay with the uh, the defensive backfield for a second, Terry. Grant Delpit is a guy who's been through injuries, inconsistency. He hasn't really hit it yet. And we saw he was probably the Browns' best defensive player on Sunday all over the field. I think he graded 91.3, according to PFF, uh, in 55 snaps, which was the highest, I think, of any Brown at any position. Uh, what did you think of Grant Delbert? And, and I guess, has he arrived finally and, and, and they can rely on him to be there and, and make plays? This is the guy I remember Andrew Barry, Barry telling me about when they drafted him. And if you recall, he comes out and blows his Achilles in the uh, first training camp, which is Having blown one Achilles totally on my left leg and another on my right leg, a partial tear, this is a nasty, those are nasty injuries. I didn't know that. You had you had it in both feet? Yeah, well, at different, ta- different times. Yeah. Wow. Uh, my left leg, this is playing pickup basketball, just walking the ball up the court, and it just popped. And there's also two things called the soleus and gastrus, which are other ligaments around your Achilles. I blew them all. And huh. then... That led to, I actually had what amount of Tommy John surgery to put them back together, which which they did. And then the other was just shooting around the neighbor uh, in the, in his driveway. Uh, he, he was like in junior high then, playing kind of really passive sort of one-on-one. And the other one started to be a partial tear. I could tell right away it was going. I stopped. And that one, at least we just booted in after the surgery. But it's very common, by the way. I remember when, um, this is not great news for Aaron Rodgers, uh, I remember when I did blow the left Achilles that has a surgery. So I'm covering the Cavs in the playoffs and they're facing the Nets and Bill Fitch, who I knew, you know, Hey, what happened to you? Blew my Achilles and making fun of me for playing basketball. He goes, you watch it. You got a good chance to partially tear or blow the other one. He goes, that happens a lot. Oh man. So anyway, fortunately for Grant, it looks like also, I certainly wasn't having the same, care that the professional pro athletes have but it's 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 a it's a concern and now i think he's completely healthy and confident and maybe just they're all saying you know these guys have been let go and there's the um, assignments are simpler we'll see as the season progresses but it did come as advertised yeah and boy you mentioned Juan thornhill didn't even play because of that um, calf injury and when they get him in there I don't know if that'll be it'll be this week or next, but uh, you're going to have a couple of pretty good safeties back there. So that's one to be careful to, of too, because that's in the area of the Achilles and all that stuff. It's it's they're slow healing and there. I was I'm going to ask you this, David. Yeah. I just had this sense watching the two teams play that the Bengals, after a while, like they just wanted to get this over with. Yeah, there's no doubt. And with Joe Burrow coming off that calf injury that he had in training camp, I mean, they weren't going to win that game. And I think with about six or seven minutes left, they knew it. 
and they pulled him and they waved the white flag and it was over. So I, I think that was smart. And I think more teams should probably be doing that in terms mm-hmm. of pulling guys early because there was no they, no way they were going to win that game. It just even, was not their even day. Even before that where you talked about the Browns, the energy and the sidelines on the field. And it's mm. a fairly close game in the first half. But I just looked at them. And, yeah, I think it was raining. Things weren't going well for, for Cincinnati. They so looked, you noticed it earlier. I did. Hmm. And, and it was kind of like, I just thought that they were not as emotionally ready for this. Maybe because it's, to them, it really was one of 17. And, you know, they could talk about elves or whatever they want. And it doesn't matter because they figure they're going to be going back to the Eastern Conference Finals or uh, whatever it is. But where the the Browns did play with the sense of desperation and urgency that you would expect. Well, that's something they're going to have to bring every week, and I think we're going to see it on Monday night in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I was down in Cincinnati last year for the for their opener against the Steelers, and I was in the press box, and it, it was it was a similar game in that they didn't look right. Mm-hmm. The, the passing game was off. Um, uh, McPherson, their kicker, missed a couple of uh, kicks, like in, I think even an extra point. It just wasn't right, and then they end up, you know, getting back to the AFC Championship game. So it's a long season. I think they realize that, but. That rematch is a long way off. It's the last yeah. week of the season, so there's a lot of football to play between now and then. But uh, I think we're going to see probably a different Cincinnati team by the time we get to January. So I haven't looked at everybody's stats, but a lot of quarterbacks had rough first weeks. I noticed that. Uh, Allen from uh, Buffalo looked terrible the other night. Um, of course, Rodgers gets hurt. Um, looked like the numbers on uh, Lamar Jackson weren't very good. Yeah, it, it was rough, and I, I think they always say football coaches, the biggest jump is between week one and week two, so I, I think things will start to pick up a little bit. But uh, what, maybe... did you think, what did you think of Watson? Well, I thought he played pretty well. I think that the wet ball kind of threw him off a little bit, and I, I noticed, you know, Joe Burrow went to a glove about halfway through the game, and Watson didn't. And might not just be his thing, but I thought I thought he left like 14 points on the board. I mean, this, it mm-hmm. could have been like 37 to three. Uh, he under those two under throws could have been touchdowns that he had. So it, it was okay, right? I mean, it was a, it, they won. He played okay. He didn't make like a huge mistake to cost them. He it was good ball security generally in terms of not fumbling a lot and all that. Uh, what did you see? Well, the fact that Burrow didn't throw it very well either, glove or no glove, told you told us that it was a bad day to throw so i kind of toss out doing any kind of in-depth evaluation of the passing game because of that had burrow been throwing the ball well uh i would feel more concerned so um i was glad that uh stefanski looked up and realized it was raining and that it was going to keep raining and that he has nick chubb on the team and you are allowed because one of my old lines is, "What is there some kind of law about not throwing the ball to uh, to Chubb?" No, you're allowed to do it, and he did it. And they, you know, they got some nice little gains early. Just keep moving the ball with him. Um, it's like probably, I mean, you could say Miles or uh, Smith deserve to be like MVP game balls. But you know how Chubb is. You look up, 108 yards in 18 carries, I think it was, and he caught four balls. And, of course, he never makes a mistake. And it was a game when they needed Chubb to be Chubb. And 
also a game where I think that Chubb was a safety valve for Watson, who I do think he was nervous, though. I, I Some of the times there, I think he just he, – this guy just needs to play, Dave. They, you know, they – and I – you know, I I get it in one sense. They're always worried about these guys getting hurt in preseason. But there's no way to be ready in 30 snaps. I think teams now have just decided, like with Lamar Jackson or Watson or you name your guy – if he stinks the first week or two, at least we got him to the first week or two and let him play into game form and games that count as opposed to, you know, what happens in the preseason. Yeah, good point, Terry. So, um, well, we'll see how they look on Monday night against the Steelers, and we can get into that in a minute. Why don't, why don't we start spinning forward a little bit here, Terry? Uh, uh, I got to th- stop. Here it you is. Do. This, this is going to re- make my point. <laughs> We're 20 minutes into that. Had Cade York missed a field goal in this game and been on the team, it would have come up by now. <laughs> and instead, speaking we have, for uh, the Hopkins. kickers, Hopkins is three for three, makes his extra point, kicking through the rain on a day when Charlie Hewitt, that ball's wet, he could have snapped it poorly. Bajorquez could have dropped it or not got it down quite right, or even before he reached the ball to kick it, Dustin could have slipped. Instead, three for three, I think it's 43 yards, 42 yards, 34 yards, or something like that. All your money kicks. He drilled them all down the ri- Right down, down the, the middle. middle. Yep. Through the rain. That's all I got to say. Well, let's well, mention the, it. Hey, the, the rest of this season, the less we talk about the kickers, the better the Browns are going to be, and that's what they want. They just want it to happen and have the ball go through the uprights and move on. Like that's and, it. And, and Cincinnati, it was a 51-yarder, which is tougher, but they did miss. And that also was a day when they were so hurting for points, Cincinnati, that that could have lifted them up. Instead, the guy misses, the Browns get the ball at, you know near mid-41-yard line or wherever it was that they got it. All right. Well, we do need to touch on Jack Conklin, um, and but that's a big injury week one, and he, he that guy's been through so much. You have to feel for him, and I know that all of his coaches and teammates just felt terrible after he went down. He's lost for the season. I I, I think I predicted in last week's podcast, the week before, that Dewan Jones was going to play a role. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to see it happen like this, but he got thrown right into it. Um, he graded, you know, I'm the, unf- I'm going to be the unofficial president of the Dewan Jones fan sure. club the rest of the way here, but he graded out way worse than I thought I was watching him. And I thought he played really well. Um, PFF did not agree. They had him only with a 38.4 rating for, for run blocking, but a 77.8 okay. for pass blocking. Uh, and it, so he came out at 49.7 overall. And I got to tell you, people are kind of curious about the Watt matchup during the Steelers game with Dewan Jones and how they're going to handle that. I think Dewan is going to be able to hold his own on pass blocking. He's a really good pass blocker and he's so big. It takes half an hour to get around him because mm-hmm. he's such a big guy. I don't know how much help they're going to need to give him, but I, I'm, it's really interesting. Number one, that he jumped past James Hudson as the third tackle right away and that they felt good enough to put him out there at right tackle and let him play as much as he did. I think, I, th- I think he could be there for a while. I don't I know. Have- what did you see? I didn't break it down or whatever, but it's easier to look at the pass blocking because sometimes I would do that after Deshaun threw and then they show the replay and I'm just kind of like, well, let's see what's going on where he is. Uh, the run blocking, I don't know the assignments. I don't know enough about it. Um, 
But for first game, you know, Cincinnati's got good defensive ends. They got a good line. Uh, and then he didn't know he was going to play, and he was ready. And remember, they played him a zillion snaps in the preseason. So this is where that actually paid off uh, because he was ready. And I didn't think he was overwhelmed by the speed of the game, which uh, it's easy for rookies to, to do that. So that's exciting to me. Barry was telling me, because uh, there were a few things left over from those interviews that uh, I didn't use and uh, on Jones that they were extremely encouraged because of how he embraced um, the things they've asked him to do from nutrition to weight training to uh, home study, all that stuff. And, you know, Callahan's a great teacher. Bill Callahan is one of the best at offensive line. And DeWan decided to be a good student. And so that's along with massive size. So there's a chance for him. I don't think very anticipate this guy start the whole year, but that's probably what it's going to be. Yeah, and he's the biggest guy on the team, and, and if he can kind of get his run blocking to where they want it, I think he's going to be pretty solid over there. So uh, we shall see. So, all right, Terry, real quick, how do you see the, the Steelers game going down on Monday night, and uh, w- w- how do you think things are going to look? I think it'll be close and hard fought. I would not expect um, the Steelers to stink it up like they did against the 49ers. These first, we talked about this last week, these first week games are so hard to predict, and you just don't know uh, how teams will react. But game two, Monday night in Pittsburgh, with this way, if the Browns go in there and drill these guys like they did the Bengals, the Steelers are in big trouble. But I just, it's very seldom is a Mike Tomlin team in big trouble. They may be in some trouble, they may be struggling but they're not in big trouble. And I don't think the Steelers will be this time. And I'll be in then the old, how do the Browns handle success, all that stuff that comes up. But I would hope that they know this is just a start of something, that they haven't won anything besides one game. Yeah, that's a that's a big point, Terry. Just what they always talk about going 1-0 every week, and that, that's what they need to do. But I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and this won't be the first prediction I ever get wrong. I think the Browns are going to win by two touchdowns. Okay. I, can't, I can't see Kenny Pickett throwing guys open against this press coverage uh, like you were talking about. Like Even if these guys can't shake this press coverage, if the Browns are healthy in that back seven, I don't think Kenny Pickett's going to be able to get the ball in there. I just don't. And um, I think the Browns win by two touchdowns. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times before. So. Mr. Matt, well, and that, I mean, I could create a scenario in my head where that happens, where Pickett begins, he, he grows, drops back to pass, gets hit, he fumbles, uh, mistakes being made. I could see that. I don't know what the Browns offense is going to do. So that's the other thing we'll have to see. Yeah. And they're without Cam Hayward, so that's that's going to be something a, a, a big hole in the middle of the Steelers' defensive line. So we'll see how that all comes together. But all right, Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the Guardians a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on what you think the Guardians should do with the bullpen, and especially Emmanuel Class A as they head down the stretch here. So uh, we'll be right back on Terry's talking. We are back on this very special 97th episode of the Terry's Talking Podcast. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Guardians a little bit here. 68 and 77 heading into Tuesday night. Uh, seven and a half games behind the Twins. It's over. Um, the division's over. And we've been reading a lot this summer about the Guardians really watching the innings of the young starting pitchers. 
But in the meantime, and you wrote about this, and Paul Hoynes, who covers the, the Guardians, uh, wrote a kind of a column this afternoon saying they need to get Manuel Classe some help. But this bullpen has really been leaned on in a huge way, and it's showing. They're starting to show some wear and tear. What do you see from the bullpen, and how do you think they should manage things the rest of the way and even in the offseason if you had any suggestions for what you'd like to see them do? Well, if you you look at some real basic stuff, which is this, you know, a year ago they were 28 and 17 in one, in one run games. And so they played 45. This year they're uh, 24 and 28. So they played more one run games already than last year, 52 compared to 45. Well, we're coming to the end of the year now, so these stats are, are pretty, uh, pretty relevant. But when you kind of break down things a year ago, they only blew 18 saves. Uh, this year they've blown 28. And that is a difference of 10 games. And it's, this isn't the only reason they're not going to go 92 and 70 like a year ago. But I just think that when you're having trouble in the late innings, it is so uh, morally or demoralizing to your, your club. Just like when you're watching, I remember Omar Vizquel told me this. He said, we were talking about one of the years of the, Indians had a really bad bullpen, and I forgot whatever guy it was. It's a man, you know, when a couple of these guys go in the game, it's like you're just like, oh, boy, here we go again. He goes, well, we think so too. He goes, so the players feel it. Now, they'll never say that. He goes, don't write that because we're the same thing. And you think, you know, we did all this work to get this lead, and this guy's going to come in and walk the first two guys or whatever it is. So it does carry over. And the flip side, of course, is when – players it's just like the field goal kicker in some ways at the end of the game you did all this work and you can't trust the guy to put it away make the kick make the 40-yard kick you can't trust the guy to get the last three outs and a year ago there was plenty of reasons i mean you mentioned classe he was 42 of 46 in saves with a 136 era you know this year he's 39 of 50 with a 315 now there's a case to be made that he's pitched under so much pressure the last two years that maybe he's just wearing down uh, some physically and somewhat just mentally from that uh, but the I was looking at save opportunities you know I mentioned the class a had 50 nobody else has been in more than 44 save opportunities hmm. so he's been out there a lot and he led the um Major leagues and with 71 appearances a year ago, and um, you know he's gonna be may even eclipse that this season. So, what do you make of all that? Well, I, first of all, check out Terry's column on on the bullpen if you haven't already. And it, I thought Hoynesy had some interesting stats in the thing he wrote today. Uh, last year, opposing batters hit 203 against his cut fastball and 119 against his slider. I think we were talking about this last week. Mm -hmm. This year, they're hitting 257 against his cutter compared to 203 and 189 against his slider compared to 119. So I I just think you're right. The usage is way up and they just need to dial him back like the rest of the way. Like the worst you don't want to see, like they pitched Andrew Miller so much when he was here and they needed to. And he was so great. But like when his decline happened, it happened so quickly and they've got some years left on class a's extension you don't want to see that happen where he's not he, he's paying next year for what they did this year 
And I think they really need to dial him back going down the road. Do you agree or what What do you want to see? Well, you have to develop a, a second closer. And see, that was, mm-hmm. by the way, Trevor Steffen, who they gave an extension to, he's two of nine in save situations. His ERA is not bad. It's like three, six or something. But it seems like he melts down in the eighth inning. In fact, last year, they often used Karinchek in the eighth inning. Now, he's been up and down. Last year, he had a 205 ERA. He's been up and down from the minors. Um, they've been upset with him. You could tell that because I think they left him down there a little longer than I would have because they, he doesn't hold any people on base and that sort of stuff. But And then finally, um, Sam Hentges. Now, he has pitched better of late, but he had a 232 ERA a year ago. This year is 397. So there really isn't. So I, I, say, I say to you, Manager David, your got a, your team is a three to two lead in the ninth, and you can't use class A. You use boy in an ideal world, like Karen Check would be the guy, right? But he just hasn't. No, no, he, we're he not. Don't have any options. No, we're doing on September, or whatever this <laughs> in is. Reality, 12. we're living September in the reality 12th. of September. Right, the same thing like August twelfth or July twelfth of this year. Yeah, who do I'm you go- listen. I'm going with the guy who has who's has, it's been the longest time since he's pitched because <laughs> there is nothing at stake here. The idea you want to keep everybody as healthy as you can heading into the off season. Whoever hasn't pitched in the longest time, I'm putting them in. Like, but to to dial back the why Quasse has pitched so much and such high lever lever situations because it had to. It. Yeah, you're right. And and it wasn't a good. Alternative, he tried Stefan, even in some of these eighth inning. And if I remember, there might be one or two ninth inning ones, and he blew up. I mean, he was terrible. He was walking guys and balls. I mean, what was? I get how the ninth inning has become, because it always has been a different inning. I don't care what analytics says or that. When you're out there and you just need to get the last three outs, and your team has worked for three hours to get you to that four to three lead uh you feel it if you blow it but now these guys in the eighth inning uh some are are feeling that and that's part of the reason paul shuey for example when he pitched in cleveland had great stuff he could not close to save his life but he was really good in the seventh and eighth yeah, really good points, Terry. And just to build on that, I thought Hoynesy had something interesting to say. Where the, the, because the Guardians don't score enough, yep. every game is stressful. Like they're all tight, and mm-hmm. and and they're all late innings with with le- high leverage pitching situations, and that that taxes it not just the team but especially the bullpen. So, and it kind of ties into this question I want to ask you. Hey, Terry, question. Um, our longtime listener Neil from Jamestown, New York, he says, Hey, Terry. Chris Antonetti was quoted as saying the Guardians not scoring runs is the problem, not their lack of home runs. He seems to be implying that the magical everything goes right season of last year can be repeated. I already give the front office a D minus for the year. This quote makes me feel even more concerned. What did you think about what you heard from Chris Antonetti about they need to score more runs? It's very kind of um, money ball, like we need runs. We don't need home runs kind of thing. But what did you think? Well, I tend to buy into it to an extent. But that, but I also want a team that doesn't rank last or second last in homers. It, it's kind of like homers aren't everything, but they're something. It's like the people who say, "Well, money, money doesn't matter. It isn't anything at all." That's a bunch of garbage. Money, you know, money isn't everything, but it's something. Home runs aren't everything, but they're something. And so, you know, even if you're ranking 
20th out of 30 teams, uh, it would help. The The injury to Josh Naylor was extremely damaging to this lineup. But I also want to dial back to the bullpen. The other reason is it's not just the bullpen in general is being stressed. It's Cossé's being stressed because these other guys are not pitching well. And I remember uh, – I can't remember if it was Hargrove. Well, I won't attach a name to it, but it was one of the managers I dealt with over the years. He goes, you know, you guys think I'm a moron because we're going to the bullpen. He said, who would you put in? Look at these guys. This is who I got. And, well, you stumped me when you asked me. <laughs> yeah, that's to the point. And that's kind of what he did. I forgot who was closing and that. Who would you do? You know, I was like, I don't know. Um, and that's the same thing. This season, now you can argue that if there was a weakness in the preparation for the season, certainly wasn't with starters because uh, they keep coming up with them, is the bullpen. And there's been nobody coming up from the minors to help in the bullpen. Uh, you know, because Eli Morgan was with the team from last year. And Morgan, Morgan's stuff is fringe. You know, he doesn't throw that hard. And that, and to, it's hard to see him in those late innings uh, unless he just continues to develop. He is throwing – his fastball is at least average now, 92-93, which is up for him. But there just there just isn't anybody. You know, they were hoping that uh, uh, Heron could uh, – Tim Heron could uh, pitch well, but he was just too wild. Now, that, that was – but although some of his stuff reminds me, not just because of his size and being a big guy who's left-handed – but Hentges was like that early in his career. But Hentges got off to a bad start this year. And so that is, they just, there's nobody. They they had nobody from the minors to come up really and help in the bullpen for very long. Then they trade for the guys from the Angels, and it's kind of, it really is too late. Um, and there you are. Yeah, and, and it is like football a little bit, Terry, and basketball too. Like the bullpen needs to know their roles. Yeah. It's like, listen, you're going into the seventh, you're going into the eighth, and you're going into the ninth. And a team really starts to st- string wins together when that bullpen knows what they're doing and it's consistent. And they've, you're right, there's been so many guys in and out and just who are they going to rely on? It's what, just, there hasn't innings? been any continuity there and who's doing what, like, and when am I going in? And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be one of the huge things they're going to have to solve this off season. So, and you, now, by the way, for Andrew Miller to be uh, somewhat fair, he had had arm hit history and arm problems in his history and his background. And so that probably a reason they could have went a little more careful with him. Um, and, but I, I'm just looking at this and, these guys have good arms, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're good in the late innings. Uh, I still have a lot of confidence in Quasse for next year, but I wouldn't mind seeing them back off on him a little bit just to give him a mental break. And yeah, and, and you're right, Terry. Just to be fair on on the Andrew Miller thing, like they were going for a World yeah. Series, and and you got to do it. Like, and I think Andrew Miller would admit they that he was using the right way, and he would have done it all again. So um, that's just the way it is sometimes. And and that yeah. and they had. See, but they had that thing lined up. They had Cody Allen at his best, and they had Brian Shaw, and it was Shaw in the seventh, Miller in the eighth, and and Allen in the ninth. And then they got in the playoffs, and that's when Tito began leveraging Miller into, you know, multiple innings, that kind of stuff. Because he, to his point, I remember he said, when you get here, you don't know you're going to get back. And they got back a couple times, but they couldn't get out of the first round. Until this past year, 
Yep. So, and now when you look at the hitting, all right, I'll ask you this question. What hitter has exceed of uh, other prominent guys has exceeded his performance of last year? Josh Naylor. Yeah. Period. Period. Yeah. That's it. So we, we have an interesting question here, Terry. It kind of tied into what you're saying there. Um, so I'm going to ask you right now. So this comes from Dan Monahan from Erie, Pennsylvania. We have a lot of Erie listeners, which is great to see. So he says, hi, guys. Like all Guardians fans, I love Jose Ramirez. I can't help but be disappointed, though, in his second half of the season. He's not the reason we stumbled this year, but he contributed through his lack of production. I know Josh Naylor's absence certainly hurts. My question is, how important do you guys feel relationships in the clubhouse are in terms of player performance? My take is that Jose is very emotional, and more than likely he gets down easily, and um, Ahmed Rosario was always up and perhaps was the only guy in the clubhouse who could clown around and bring Jose out of his occasional funks. I also think Jose was upset at the front office for jettisoning, jettisoning so many of the other of the players at the deadline, in his mind throwing in the towel in the season. I'm a big believer in cause and effect, and I think the cause of Jose's downturn was the loss of Rosario. What do you think? Um, accurate, but not true. Hmm, okay. okay, here's the line. The accuracy is you could look at his stats after um, Ahmed left and see that he was going down. I would say truth that he was probably upset about the veterans being traded. Every, and you, if you're on the team, you would be. But if you were a sign of percentage, they were not hitting behind him 80%, whatever it was, just because, all right, pretend you're pitching against Cleveland. Quan leads off. He gets on. Uh, he steals second. Here comes Jose. And batting behind Jose is dun, 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 Cole Calhoun. Oscar Gonzalez, uh, Lauren Arrow, I don't know, whoever else you want to pick. Jimenez, who's not having, they tried that for a while, not having anything like the year he had the year before. Are you giving him any, you may not walk him, but are you giving him anything to hit? No. And by the way, then he's frustrated because he's coming up to the plate thinking, they're not going to give me anything to hit. I got to get that guy in for a second. So he's sometimes, as they say, getting himself out. Uh, or, uh, now the last time I looked, we haven't seen lately, he, I think he was leading the league and being intentionally walked. So that that's some of it. And where before, when you had, uh, you know, Quan and Ahmed, and a lot of times both of those guys were on base last year. So there was sort of nowhere to put Jose. You had a pitch to him. And so that was a, a different thing too. But the, the vibe has, has just been different. You know, they... Remember last year to lead the league in infield hits and and that kind of. I mean, they were 15th in in the in MLB in scoring a year ago. And what are they now? 28th or 27th? It's hard to imagine teams scoring even less than they are. And also, we'll see what has changed with the new rules. Offense is up, batting averages are up some, and scoring is up. So their weaknesses have even been highlighted more. But you know. Gonzalez was a factor last year in the second half of the year. I mean, he he made pitchers pay. Sometimes he batted behind Jose, um, and he was terrible. You know, I was I was on the SpongeBob bandwagon, and you know, I fell off and got run over. I mean, he just <laughs> it, and I got no defense. He was just awful. 
And so, you, you know, who, who else? So they have to ask some tough questions. They do it. They tried to get some power, by the way. Let's, let's be fair to them. It didn't work. Zanino was supposed to be the guy. They were hoping to hit 30 home runs like he did two years ago. And they were hoping Bell would hit 25 to 30 home runs. Maybe Bell does. But, um, yeah, by the way, uh, I wish it was, I had thought of it, but as uh, Andy Baskin said this, you know, as a talk radio host, said that, you know what Josh Bell's like? You're sitting on a slot machine for like days at a time pouring all these quarters in or whatever, nothing, or, you know, just get a, you know, a three bucks back or whatever. You get up to go to the bathroom. Some old lady sits down, throws in two quarters, <laughs> and, you know, the sevens come up, and that's it. She didn't even play. I have literally it. seen that happen. Yeah, and, that. And, and so that's what it was. He goes to Miami. It's not like they changed his swing or anything. He got off the plane and started hitting. <laughs> and, by the way, Ahmed is hitting. I looked it up here. It's to like 245 for the Dodgers playing part-time. You know, he's had a – Ahmed really hurt his career this year. Uh, for going forward because his defense was uh, put on display, lack thereof range uh, without the shifts, which they were able to hide. And he just hasn't hit like he did a year ago. Hey, you know what? The Dodgers are going to the playoffs. There's going to be a pinch hitting opportunity late in a playoff yeah. game, and he's going to come in and make a difference and he'll be happy. So yeah, it's, I mean, it he, is what it is. And he, yeah, he's a utility guy and he has a great attitude and he hustles all the time, but they hit a lot of his weaknesses here, it seemed like, the first two years. Probably because he was hitting, what, in front of Jose Ramirez. It's all related. It's all and related. So, so he got those fastballs because the last thing you want to do is walk this guy to, and have Jose come up. Um, okay, Terry, we've got to move on here real quick. Okay. Uh, before we do, um, Shane Bieber is pitching tonight for the Akron Rubber Ducks. And Tristan McKenzie is going to be pitching, I think, on Wednesday night as part of their rehab. and. Trace DeLauder, who we've talked about on this podcast, and you went to see when he was at Lake County, uh, has been moved up. I don't think he's played a game yet, though, from what I could – I think no, tonight might be going, his first game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think he was down to 360 or something like that. He, when I was there, he was hitting 378. So he's really tailed off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just remarkable to see that. I, I think they, the Guardians feel it's imperative for both um, McKenzie and Beaver to get on the mound in the majors preferably twice, but at least once before the off season, so that both of those guys feel that their arm is coming around. I recall in 2021 when Beaver missed three months with a sore shoulder, which they first they said, oh, just a little sore. The guy missed three months. Anyway, he did pitch right at the end of that year, and Beaver did say it did help him going into 22 to know that um, – he was sound. He got through, I think he threw three or four innings because I was at that game. And I remember his velocity was a little down 90, 91, but he was on the corners and his breaking ball was pretty good. And he looked healthy. And, you know, there's still some things of, was McKenzie, should he have had Tommy John? Does he need Tommy John? So this is a way for them to find out whether he needs that elbow surgery or not. So to get them both on there. And, of course, the Guardians would love to have Bieber look extremely sharp and impressed on scouts at the end of the year because I think they still they they were set to trade him. I'm convinced of that, and I still think they wouldn't mind trading him going into free agency. Yeah, 
uh, the GM meetings. There's a lot of opportunity here when uh, when the end of September hits. So, all right, Terry, let's move on to the Cavaliers. Uh, they have decided to bring back Tristan Thompson, and we have a question here from Brian Kirkendall, longtime listener of the pod, and he says, "Hey guys, help me understand." Why Tristan Thompson makes any sense for the Cavs? He was a marginal first time around and was signed to huge dollars due to being LeBron's guy. Why have someone with so little to offer and baggage to this team? Nothing he did in the first go round would have helped the Cavs beat the Knicks or the Nuggets if you want to win a championship, and certainly nothing he does now would help the Cavs beat the Knicks. I just don't get it. Thanks for that, Brian. Uh, hey, before I forget, if you want to send a comment, letter, question, Hit us at sports at cleveland.com, but Terry's talking the subject line. What do you think about Brian's question? What does Tristan Thompson's signing mean for the Cavs? Okay, let me ask you this. What was one of the biggest problems they had against the Knicks? Rebounding. What is the one skill that Tristan Thompson has? <laughs> Rebounding. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking. He's 32. He averages still one rebound every three minutes and also he is really good on the offensive board rebounding and he was a very good player on those great teams because he didn't need the ball he went and got it I mean a lot of times he would go get an offensive rebound and throw it back out to LeBron or he or he would throw it back out to you know some a shooter fine Sounds like some two guys we might know who happen to play for the team right now, maybe. Mm-hmm. Big guys. Big right? guys, yeah. So throw it to them or, or whatever. And also, he plays with constant energy. You know, the whole drama with the Kardashians has never particularly affected anybody you know, on the court. You want to live in a soap opera off the, off the court, I guess that's your choice. But uh, the rest is uh, everywhere he's been in terms of, you know, the, the stuff is good. And I, this is the, the the problem with fantasy sports. Everybody's looking at numbers for your fantasy team instead of, you know, how does it fit? How does he fit? How does he fit? Um, and Thompson never won't care if he never gets the ball. He'll go get it off the board. And I also think Thompson's toughness, which he has, will be a very good thing for um, – the big guys for Jared Allen and for and for uh, Mobley. I will ask you this: Would you rather have? Oh God, what is his name? Who is the big guy that never played? Is uh, a Brook, uh, the backup center? Lopez. Yeah. Lopez. Yeah. Would you rather have Lopez or Tristan Thompson? Obviously, they couldn't put Lopez in the game. Here's the other Thompson. I hadn't watched him closely that much last year, but he also was very good, like Mobley at jumping out, and Jared Allen, jumping out to help the guards on double teams defensively. He can get out in the court and, and defend people. So, for remember, they didn't give up anything to get him. They just signed him. Yeah, so, Terry, I, I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm going to grab some stats. I wonder what he'll bring to the team stat-wise. And then I, I stop myself. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why? <laughs> he, he's the he's the, all, he's the Cavs franchise all-time postseason leader in offensive rebounds. In total rebounds, he's third in defensive rebounds. These are all playoff stats, right? Yeah. He's got like six, six. He's in the top five in six postseason categories for the Cavs. But beyond that, like, all right, here's the hockey segment of the show, right? The the Blackhawks, my team, got the number one pick in the draft this year, and they brought they drafted this guy named Connor Bedard, who's going to be the next big thing. But on top of that, they they signed a guy from Boston named Taylor Hall, who's 31, 
who was the number one pick in the draft when he came out and went through all the same things that Connor Bedard is going to be going through. Mm-hmm. And they brought him in specifically. They're probably going to room together for all I know. But that's what this is. It's like, hey, you know what, you guys? I've been here's how you get ready for a playoff game. Here's how you get ready to play in Madison Square Garden. Here's how you box this guy out. Here's what you do when the ball's out high and, and you know you're not getting it and how you can get ready to, to make a play on a rebound, right? That's the stuff that maybe isn't going to show up in a box score that Tristan Thompson is going to show these guys. And it's like a one-year deal, and it's like, let's try it. I looked Everything's at one, good. I looked at one stat. I looked at how many rebounds he was getting per minute. And it was still one every three minutes. And that's why when he would play 28 to 30 minutes a game, he was getting about 10 rebounds. I think he averaged five or something like that this past season. But it was based on about 16 minutes of playing time. Guys like Tristan Thompson are more valuable on good teams than on garbage teams. Because Mm -hmm. the little things that they do on garbage teams just don't show up. So he runs in there grabs you know an offensive rebound and throws it to somebody who takes a moronic three-pointer and bangs it off the rim you know that kind of stuff or he's out the only one trying to rebound because the other guys are just run down the court for whatever so it's um i just think it it is really good and uh and uh um i was real pleased I like it. I tried to find how much they're going to pay him, and I don't think that's out there yet. But um, whatever it is, it's going to be fine. Like, it's worth it for one year, and on you go. So It ain't ain't going to be much because (laughs) training camp is dawning, and he's still out there. All right. Uh, Anything else, Terry, you want to get into before we wrap it up here? Yes, you know who's going to love the signing of Tristan Thompson? Who's that? Who's our number one Cavs fan? Kathleen Thompson, our longtime that listener is, and writer. Yes, Kathleen will be thrilled about Tristan Thompson. She can name all those players and all those cast teams from the 90s and the 80s. And so I, I, I really thought, so, yep, Kathleen's going to be happy. So, all right. Um, all right, so that's it. One more thing. Um, I did not mention Terry's newsletter. If you want to get that everything if you want to get everything that Terry writes in a given week on Mondays right into your inbox of your email, just go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and you can sign up. It literally takes like a minute. It's free. You get all of Terry's stuff in there. You can check out the thing he wrote on the bullpen. You can get everything he writes, the faith in you column every week. It's all there. Cleveland.com slash newsletters. We're good, Terry, right? We are. We are good. All right. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next Tuesday on a very special 98th edition of Terry's Talking.